So um, we are having a conversation um, drawn from chapter 10 of Matthew's um, biography of Jesus. And uh, we began it last week, and we're going to continue it this week. But before we do, I want to I want to um, set the stage a little bit by asking you uh, if you know about Steve Sasson. How many of us know about Steve Sasson? I did not know about Steve Sasson. I heard the story, but I didn't know his name. Um, let me give you a hint. Does this does this ring any bells? So there he is. He's with President Obama. What do you think he might do? What's what's what do you you know? If you had to guess, what would Steve Sasson be? Are you probably are thinking some kind of politician, maybe? Well, he's not a politician. He's actually an engineer. He's an inventor. And he was receiving a prize in the White House because he invented the first digital camera. Steve Sasson invented it in the 1970s. It wasn't very good, but his company told him, keep working on it, make it better, um, because this could really be something someday. And he ended up going on to invent the first um, a digital uh, single-lens reflex camera. And... Um, and, uh, uh, and then it stayed there in his company's uh, uh, laboratory because they didn't know what to do with it, really. They, the company was Kodak. And the problem with Kodak is they were very successful at selling things for traditional photography. They made film, they made paper, made, they made the different chemicals. Kodak was very good at traditional photography. And when something came along that changed the game, a, a genuine game, game changer, they didn't really know what to do with it. So they licensed the patents and so forth and then kind of let it just work away while they became less and less relevant. And the reason that I tell you this is because they are an example of people who confuse the what and the how. That that Kodak saw itself um, as a company that was in the the film business or the paper business or the photographic chemical business, uh, the, the silver futures business, whatever it was they thought they were doing. Those were the how. But the business that they should have seen themselves, we can see now with 2020 hindsight, the business they should have seen themselves in is they were in the business of helping people um, remember important things, that they were in really the nostalgia business, that their purpose as a company, the, the reason they existed, was to help people remember what was important. And they lost sight of the what. And they got obsessed with a how. And the reason I mention this is because it's very easy for people to do. We all do this. I mean, I, I certainly have worked at companies um, that, that do this. And in the church, I do it because the, the church is not immune to this problem. It's very easy for the church to talk about what we, what we do, the, 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 the how we do things as if it was what we do. You know, the, the how we do things is we come, you know, we get up on Sunday morning, we come to a room like this, we sing some songs, we listen to somebody like me, we go downstairs, we have some coffee, and then we go home. We, the, that's the how we do church. But it's easy to confuse that with the what the church actually is doing. And so chapter 10, the reason we're looking at chapter 10 of Matthew's biography is because Jesus gives instructions to the church. He gives these instructions, and we're going to be looking at those. And the reason we're doing them in particular is because, because our, our, because Christianity in North America, really in Europe as well, throughout the, um, what used to be called Christendom, is under challenge. The society has changed, and church that, things that used to work in church aren't working anymore. The, the how isn't working. And so since we don't really know what the new how is going to be, we're focusing on the what because that's how we'll get back to a new a new how that works. So that's why we're looking at the what, and that's what we're going to see here in chapter 10. 
Now, as we said last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can listen online. Um, uh, but um, but uh, the 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 beginning of chapter chapter ten uh, really starts at the very end of chapter nine, when there's kind of a preface where we read why Jesus is doing this. You know, we get the we get the intention. You know, be, before he tells us what to do, we hear we hear why he wants to do it. So Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That. The why is that Jesus has compassion on the crowds. Who are the crowds? The crowds are the people who came to hear him. The crowds are the people who weren't his disciples. They were the people that, that were outsiders. And they didn't, they didn't get the inside scoop the way the disciples did. They were just the outsiders. And Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And so he tells his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. And then there is, following that, the first of three sendings that happen in the New Testament. We're going to look at the first one in a moment, but we know there's a second one. Matthew doesn't tell us about it, but Luke does in his biography. He tells us that there was the first sending with the twelve, and then there was a second sending with 72 other disciples. The Lord chose 72 disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. So we read about the second sending. And then, um, of course, there is the third sending that we read at the end of Matthew's biography, the sending of the whole church into the whole world. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus tells us what to do. He says, go into the world and make disciples. And he talks about some of the things that we'll do as we, as we make disciples. We will baptize people and we will teach them to obey his commands. And because of this, because of these three sendings, and particularly the last sending, the sending that affects us, um, the church is called apostolic. Apostolic is from a Greek word that means to be sent. Um, some of us are familiar with the Latin equivalent, which is missional. So the apostolic church or the missional church, these are the churches, uh, this is the church that Jesus has sent into the world. So the church is the apostolic church. And what the church is doing in the world is making disciples. And along the way, as we do that, we make disciples and baptize and teach. And um, our little piece of the world is is our mission field, the Jewel Lake Parish Mission Field, south of International Airport and uh, west of um, Minnesota O'Malley. So that's our little piece of the world, and there's about 30,000 people who live there. And so with that kind of clarification, now that we know we're in the nostalgia business, not the film business, now we have kind of refocused ourselves on what it is Jesus wants us to do. And we're not going to get in the, the trap that, that Kodak got into we know what we're really about. Now we can talk about the how. So in chapter 10, in this first sending, we see some, some instructions Jesus gives to the people he sends out. We also see many of these same instructions in chapter uh, uh, 10 of Luke's biography where he talks to the 72. So let's go ahead and look at them, realizing that they aren't exactly the same. This is the sending of the of the of the twelve, and so there's going to be things in there that don't apply to us. And the very first thing is one of those. Jesus sent out the twelve apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. 
but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Now, we know in the Great Commission, Jesus um, uh, relaxes that restriction. He actually removes that restriction. He says, go to the whole world. So we can we can say, well, that was a that was a time-limited thing. And we know it was time-limited because Jesus says they won't even finish that work before the time comes for Jesus to reveal himself to the world. He says, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus was saying, just do this for a little bit, stay stay very small in scope, and then there'll be a bigger scope later on, and that's what we're part of. So uh, verses 5 and 6 talk about that. Um, uh, but then he says to his disciples, he says, go and announce to them, the, the towns of Israel in their case, the world in our case, if we're going to apply this, uh, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus has been talking about since the very beginning of his ministry. If we go back to chapter four of Matthew's disciple, of Matthew's gospel, um, Jesus talks about the kingdom of hand. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he tells the disciples to say the same thing. Jesus is not saying, you know, make something up new. He says, stick to the the message that I've been proclaiming all along. So tell them about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is the realm in which God's authority is exercised. That the kingdom of heaven is the place where God's authority is exercised. God is the king, and there is a place in which God's authority is exercised. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, which we'll do shortly, um, that God's kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. The idea is that we are asking God to extend that rule into our own circumstances, our, our world, our lives, our communities. So the kingdom of heaven is the place where God's um, rule is um, exercised, God's authority is exercised. Notice he does not say make converts, right? That's not our job. Um, Jesus says, says simply to tell how the kingdom of God has come near. That's our first point. Tell how the kingdom of God has made, has come near. Our job is to be witnesses, not to be prosecutors. So tell how the kingdom of God has come near. How do we do that? Well, Jesus goes on. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. And I've never done any of those things. Okay. In particular, I just love the way he just kind of in the middle of a list, he says, raise the dead. Okay. And I'm a pastor, and I have never raised the dead. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. I have never prayed for the dead to be raised. I have been in the hospital room when people have died. I've been at the bedside, and I have never prayed for someone to come back from the dead. And I started thinking this week, well, maybe I should have. I mean, I mean, maybe I should have. I don't know. Um, I don't know if any of you have prayed for the dead to be restored to life. But Jesus says, raise the dead. And how will we know if it will happen if we don't even ask? I think that's part of what Matthew's getting at, but I think there's another part he's getting at here. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Jesus is recapitulating here what he's just been doing in chapter 8 and 9. If you go back and read chapter 8 and 9, he has done all of these things. He's healed the sick, he's raised the dead, he's cured those with leprosy, and he's cast out demons. Jesus is saying to us, um, whatever else he may be saying about raising the dead, he's telling us, I wouldn't ask you to do anything I haven't already done. I wouldn't ask you to do anything I haven't already demonstrated that I can do. 
So Jesus is saying, you are acting as my representatives. You are acting with my authority. And I won't ask you to do anything that I haven't done. And we say, or I say, and my guess is some of you say, but yeah, but miracles? You know, raising the dead? You know, casting out demons? What does he mean by miracles? Well, uh, you know, I think he means miracles, but what do we mean by miracles? This is a guy named Tom Katina. As you can see, he's a doctor. He's got the stethoscope, their little badge, right? So um, he's, a stethoscope. he's a stethoscope. He's wearing a stethoscope. He's a doctor, and he's wor- he works in um, a hospital in the Nuba Mountains of Sudan. Um, and I, he- I just heard about him. He won-, he won a prize in 2017 because for a long time, he was the only doctor in an area of about a million people, and he performed about 1,200 surgeries a year, and he had up to 500 patients a day. The hospital has 350 beds, and it is always at 100% capacity. And so they have had times of up to 500 a day because there is a genocide that is being conducted by the government in the north of Sudan against this region, the people in the Nuba region. Um, um, and he is the only doctor who has been a permanent uh, uh, person in that area. He's served there for seven years as part of Catholic um, medical missionaries. I forget what the name of it is. Um, the, um, but while I'm speaking of who he, you know, who to be associated with, I heard about him um, from a guy named Peter Atiyahmd.com. I listened to his webs, uh, his podcast. He's always talking about um, uh, doctor things, and it's interesting. Health, nutrition, longevity, things doctors care about, right? But he was interviewing Tom Katina, and he was flabbergasted at the conditions that this doctor does 1,200 surgeries in. He's, he's saying, you know, uh, you know, when I round, if there's, if there's 20 patients, you know, I'm complaining all day long. He's saying, you, you round 500 people. So how do you do that? So uh, it's fun to hear a doctor's perspective on this doctor's work. Um, so uh, you might, uh, if you've got one of those cell phone things, you know, that takes pictures, you might use that to take a picture of that screen. Or this screen, there is a documentary, I already showed you the poster for it, The Heart of Nuba. You can get it on all the major streaming services, YouTube, uh, Netflix, Amazon, and I encourage you to to rent it or buy it and and watch it um, because it is it is an it is a staggering um, it's a staggering documentary what's going on there and what this hospital is doing to address it. Um, AMAHF.us that's a third place that I, I will appeal to you today to give some money to. Um, so consider giving a donation through um, AMHF.us. Uh, that's that will get to. Um, his ministry in Africa. So he did all that work for seven years as the only doctor who had stayed in this area after the the rest of the Westerners had been um, evacuated while his hospital has been bombed. Okay, there's bombs falling on this area because there's a genocide being conducted out of the north. And between listening to Peter Atiyah interview him and say, you did what? And thinking about a, a place where there's bombs falling on the hospital, maybe that's the kind of miracle that Jesus is asking us to pray for. Not the miracles of some flashy thing where a guy gets up off the table, but a doctor persists in his job for seven years without being destroyed by the, by the uh, evil regime in the north. But whatever it is, whatever it is, Jesus is telling us this much. He's telling us to show the availability of God's mercy and grace. And that may entail miracles. 
And it may just entail faithful service. If you talk to Tom Katina, he won't say that a miracle has occurred. He will say that he did his best to be a faithful servant. And that's what we can do. We do it when we raise money for children's lunchbox. We do it when we contribute to, to the work of the, the community to feed hungry people in our neighborhood through the um, um, mobile food pantry. When you give money on the second Sundays to the, um, to the uh, Lutheran Social Services uh, Food Bank in Spinard, these are all ways that we can show the availability of God's mercy and grace. Jesus goes on. He says, give as freely as you have received. What does he mean by that? Well, he means give freely as you have received. We've received without without payment. We should give as freely as we have received. What does he mean? It means it's going to cost something, right? We can't give money to children's lunchbox. We can't give food to the Lutheran Social Services um, food bank. We can't spend seven years of our life in Nuba without it costing us something. And Jesus is saying, Treat that as a gift. Don't treat it as an investment. Don't come back to them and say, you know, I really invested in you and I'm expecting some payback here. Say, this is a free gift. I'm giving it to you and regardless what happens next, that's on you. But this is my gift to you. So Jesus says to give freely like Jesus. And then he goes on immediately and says, don't take any money in your money belts, no gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't take, don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick, don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. So Jesus says, don't charge anything, but accept gifts. And that is incredibly hard to do. Every Sunday I stand up here and I say something like I did today. I say, you are under no obligation that Jesus loves you, that Jesus has fulfilled the law on your behalf, that you are not under the tithe, that... that um, you are free to walk out of here without ever giving a dime to this church. And I know there are churches where that message is not conveyed accurately. But it's true. Jesus says we are to give away, and at the same time, we are to invite people to, or at least accept when people do, um, contribute to our needs. And we know that that was something that Jesus accepted. Jesus um, was supported by people in his time. We read about them in chapter 8 of Luke's biography. Among them, this group of people who traveled with him, were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, and who Madeline's named after. Um, uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. We know that this is something Jesus did. We also know, probably many of us, places, churches, uh, other charities that did it wrong, where they either said you had to do it or they used sob stories or pressure tactics to make you feel like you had to do it. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. It is a gift. Your service is a gift. But he said, be willing to take gifts from people. So... Um, I think part of what Jesus is asking us to do is to demonstrate dependency, to, to show what we've been talking about, to show the availability of God's mercy and grace by living it out, by saying, I'm depending on God to come through in this. And we might ask that question, in what parts of our life are we depending on God to come through? Or are we saying, you know what, really, I'm pretty well good. You know, someday I'm going to die, but I've got enough money to last me. My health is good. Are we basically saying, I don't really need God? Because if we depend on God, if we are living our lives in such a way that we're depending on God to come through, then our message will certainly be a lot more believable. So, give freely and 
take what God provides through people. So Jesus continues. He says, whenever you in a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. Um, when you enter the... When you enter... When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy um, home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. So Jesus says, so when you come into it, when you come into a community, find a place to, to stay and stay there. And that may seem, you know, there's a cultural thing that's going on here, which is in Middle Eastern culture in the first century and in a lot of the world still today, travelers have the expectation that people will provide them hospitality. That if you're coming from out of town um, and you're passing through, then it's just expected that people will provide hospitality to you. So he says, look around for people who will do that and find somebody who will not only extend you the 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 almost obligatory hospitality, but they are open to your message. He says, find somebody who will listen, because we're about to find out what worthy means. And he says, if it turns out to be a worthy home, stay there. And if it's not, let your blessing return. So what do we do? Jesus says, stay put, stay in one place, put down roots, you know, uh, build a relationship with this person um, or people. Stay there so you can build a relationship. You know, we read in the, the New Testament, we read about people who have the gift of evangelism. You know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, they can give a speech to 3,000 strangers and they all come to faith in Christ. You know, there are evangelists in our in our day today. You know, uh, Billy Graham just died a year ago. There are people who could do that. They could go rent Yankee Stadium. They could preach to 50,000 people and have a couple of thousand people come to faith in Christ with no relationship whatsoever. So there are people who have the gift of evangelism and you're not one of them, I'm guessing. And neither am I. I'm guessing that none of us have the gift of evangelism. So Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't just kind of do some drive-by, you know, you know, wave a sign at somebody, put a bumper sticker up, and expect them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, no, stick with one person. Build a relationship, because that's how they'll get to know you, and that's how they'll begin to believe what you're telling them about the good news of the kingdom. So he says, stay put and build relationships. And then he goes on, he says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. So that's a, that's a, another cultural thing. It's saying, I am out of here and I'm not even taking your dust with me. I'm leaving. So, um, he says, I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on judgment day. And, um, what does he mean by that? What, is, what does that last part mean? He's talking about an incident in the book of Genesis. We can read about it. God sent these two angels to, to visit a man in the town of Sodom. His name was Lot. They got to the town, and uh, you can read the story for yourself, but I'll just sum it up by saying that they were not shown hospitality. And Jesus is saying that they, those two angels were not shown hospitality, but the inhospitality that the, the, that was shown to those angels is less of an offense than the offense of not welcoming you. Jesus is saying that's how high the stakes are. It's not that you're better than an angel, but the message you're carrying is more important than the message that those angels took to Lot. That's a huge, huge responsibility. And so one of the things that we need to think about as we carry that message is we're saying, I am Jesus' representative and the stakes are incredibly high. Am I representing Jesus? Or am I representing me and my preferences and my tribal identity? Am I representing Republicans? Am I representing Libertarians or Democrats? Am I representing anything but Jesus? 
because I don't have any authority to leave, uh, to be kicked out because of my politics or because of my race or my religion. I don't have, I cannot let those things become stumbling blocks for people. Jesus says that some people will reject your message. Some people will. But let it be the message they're rejecting and not you because the stakes are so high. And so we need to be, if we're going to be effective in speaking to people about Jesus, we need to put our our tribal identities aside and we need to be able to say, you know what, I'm coming to you not as a Republican, not as a Democrat, I'm coming to you as a representative of Jesus because the stakes are that high. But then, if they say no, leave. Leave. Because Jesus has said, it's your job to be a witness. It is not your job to be a prosecutor. You're not responsible for converting people to Jesus. That's not your job. He says, tell them the good news that the kingdom has come near, and then, if they don't like it, leave. Now, Jesus doesn't mean don't care. If you've built that relationship, you will care. But Jesus cares too. Remember, the reason the reason that that Jesus is sending us, sending the church on this mission is because Jesus has compassion. So what does that mean? I don't know. Jesus is saying that's above our pay grade. There may be somebody coming in town from the other side, and they're going to be the one in this time. They're going to be able to speak to that person in that particular situation, and they're going to be able to tell the gospel in such a way that those people put their faith in Jesus. But that's above our pay grade. The one thing we can be sure of is that it's not our job to convert anybody. It's not a failure if somebody doesn't become a Christian. Jesus is saying, you do your job and I'll do my job. So we do this because Jesus has compassion. What do we do? We be sent. We are sent. We go. We make disciples. And how do we do it? We tell and we show. We give and we take. We stay and we leave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you sent someone to each of us um, through the church or individually. You sent people who could tell us the good news of the availability of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would make us effective in being that third sending, the sending that you uh, inaugurated 2,000 years ago and are continuing even in our lifetimes. Teach us, Lord, how we can tell the good news about the kingdom, how we can show the availability of your grace and mercy. Help us give generously and take as a sign of our dependence. Help us to stay with people and build relationships. And Lord, let us realize that making converts is not our business. Let us leave when we are unwelcome, trusting you to have compassion on the crowds. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.